Cause for Action is brought to you by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Institute for Legal Reform, the leading legal reform advocate in the U.S. and around the world. Learn more at instituteforlegalreform.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cause for Action. I am Savola Kazat, Senior Vice President at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Institute for Legal Reform. As part of its Green Deal climate policy, the European Commission has recently proposed a series of new environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, legislative initiatives to impose extensive new financial reporting and compliance obligations on companies. We will discuss today one of these legislative initiatives, the draft EU Directive on Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence, which was issued back in February of this year. The proposed EU Directive would create new regulatory and liability burdens for companies operating in and outside the EU. It raises important questions, some of which we will address today. Here to discuss the directive with me today is Ken Daly, managing partner at Sidley Austin's Brussels office and an expert in EU competition and regulatory law. Thanks for joining us today, Ken. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the basics on what exactly is the goal of the Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive. Sure. Well, so the, the EU has a, uh, has a concern in relation to human rights and environmental sustainability, like we all do. Uh, it has a specific concern that the way businesses are operating, uh, both in the EU and globally, is, is having uh, an impact. Now, the EU clearly has its own um, uh, ability to constrain what businesses are actually doing in Europe. Um, this directive, though, uh, tries to do something quite novel, um, which is to uh, put some new rules in place in relation to what businesses can do in Europe, but also put requirements uh, on them in relation to everything they do also outside of Europe with regard to uh, sustainability and human rights. Specifically, what they're trying to do is make sure that the entire supply chain um, of uh, companies operating in Europe uh, uh, respects uh, norms that the EU is going to set with regard to human rights and environment, environmental sustainability. So it's it's quite novel, mainly because of its uh, its global reach and its extraterritorial scope. Um, and its plan is is very uh, very plainly um, to make sure that there's a way to regulate and punish companies. Uh, where they have not taken proper account of the global impact of their supply chains. So that's in, in its biggest uh, picture what the uh, goals of the um, uh, the goals of the, the, the directive are. So this is uh, quite um, broad, in fact, and uh, I imagine that European companies are very concerned by this, but why should American companies care? Well, so the, the plan for the, the directive is, as I mentioned, it's, 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 first of all, not only European companies that are going to get caught up in this. Um, the, the directive is going to apply to, first of all, EU companies, 
And that is companies that are based in the EU when they have 150 million euros of sales uh, and 500 employees. So it is, in the first instance, focusing on large EU companies. But it also applies to um, non-EU companies. That is, say, for example, a US company where, they, where that company has 150 uh, million sales in the EU. So the EU's own estimation is that this uh, legislation is likely to capture about 13,000 EU companies, but as many as 4,000 non-EU companies, and those, of course, are likely to be the largest US businesses that have any kind of material operations or sales within the EU. So um, the, the, um, the fact that a company might be based in the US, might be mainly focused on the US, might have operations, you know, all over the world and only incidentally in the EU will not be enough to get you out of the application of this directive. So as we've seen with some other European uh, items of legislation, the goal here is, you know, the EU wants to, you know, in a sense, um, uh, direct operations no matter where they are in the world. Very interesting. Um... It appears that the directive proposes that companies uh, could be held liable for both human rights and environmental harms. Uh, could you expand on this? And in short, um, what sort of har harms uh, will companies be liable for? Sure. So, so the scheme of the directive is that it imposes duties on companies um, to uh, first identify potential adverse human rights or environmental impacts uh, within its within its own operations within you know its own subsidiaries but also all the way down its value chain wherever that value chain may 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 be in the world and that is both its direct and indirect value chain so just to just to clarify we're not only talking about let's say we have a large uh, um, you know manufacturing company uh, it, it has its own subsidiaries. Let's say it has a manufacturing subsidiary in, in Asia. If that manufacturing subsidiary in Asia subcontracts to an external third party that has nothing to do with the, the corporate group of the entity, it's still included in this. So the idea is that the liability will exist for everything all the way down the chain. So this directive will create responsibilities on the company called by it to um, identify and uh, try to m mitigate and prevent uh, environmental and human rights harms all the way down the chain. So um, in relation to the, so, so there, there, are different, um, uh, there are different obligations in relation to human rights on the one hand and environmental on the other. And um, the truth is it's a, it's a little bit unclear exactly what the um, human rights you know, the standards will be, and a little bit unclear what the uh, environmental standards will, will be. Um, it, it's, it's clear uh, what the goals are, and I think everyone would agree that, you know, where there's a material impact on human rights or material impact on, uh, uh, on the environment, then clearly there's a, there's a problem. So that's not really the issue. The, the, the issue is that the way the EU proposes to define what the problem is, is simply by reference to international conventions that are really intergovernmental 
international conventions. So let me give you some examples. On the human rights side, for example, um, the directive says that companies will be liable for failing to prevent harms arising from breaches of the Universal Declaration on Human Rights or the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights or the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. Those are just some examples. There's a long list of sort of international, uh, international uh, con conventions, international agreements, sometimes UN-backed, sometimes inter intergovernmental. Um, and so, the, as I say, the, the goal, you know, maybe it's, um, maybe these human rights violations are, are in that category of things that you know them when you see them uh, to some extent. But when you're trying to create a, a, a legal liability test, it's quite unsatisfactory for the, the rights to be defined only by reference to these, you know, kind of high level framework type conventions that, um, that do things like, uh, you know, make these kind of general statements such as, um, you know, the, the right to, uh, the, the right to, to life and security shall be protected. The right to property shall be protected. Um, the, 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 the right um, not to have um, your freedom of thought or conscience or religion interfered with shall be protected. But that, that's the kind of nature of the international conventions that we're talking about. So the EU says that any harm arising from any breaches of any of those kind of high-level principles can lead to direct liability for the companies caught up in the directive. Um, it's exactly the same on the environmental side, uh, where there are references, for example, to um, the need for companies to have policies um, uh, to, to, to make sure that their strategy is consistent with the Paris Climate Accord and the overall goal of achieving uh, 1.5 degrees centigrade, no more than 1.5 degrees centigrade in terms of uh, in terms of global uh, warming. So, um, it, but it's drawing from that very high-level intergovernmental objective uh, a direct line of liability and responsibility for individual companies for, if you like, failing to prevent or for um, failing in, in some way uh, to to um, to identify and prevent harms arising in those in those categories. So um, it you know it identifies um, harm to soil, to to, to water, to to uh, um, to biodiversity, etc. And and again, all extremely worthwhile and no, noble goals. And nobody would I think object to those goals. Um, but I think the difficulty with this directive is it's it's a technical one. Um, it's how does a company comply with something like that? H how do you know when you've done enough to prevent, uh, when you've done enough as an individual company to um, ensure that your company has done enough to support the Paris Climate Goals, for example? Whether you support the goals or not is, is not at all the point. It's just a question of, of, of the technical certainty. It's very difficult for companies to achieve that on, on either of those human rights or, or sustainability sides. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, in practice, uh, it seems to me that companies uh, will have to 
really figure out how to uh, report and comply uh, uh, with this directive. Yeah. yeah. So the system of it, um, we should probably talk a little bit about the the you know the enforcement the enforcement system because that's obviously when when this is really going to bite. Um, there there are kind of three categories um, in which this is going to be enforced. First, there's going to be regulatory supervision. So each European member state, each EU member state, will be required to set up a regulatory body that will have an ability to impose fines and rules on companies. Um, according to the directive, those fines, you know, there's no limit in the directive on what those fines might be. So in, in theory, they're unlimited. That will be up to each individual member country to determine what the maximum fine will be. So there's that, there's regulatory supervision. Second, there's a category of director's duties, um, which addresses um, things that directors themselves personally are required to take into account when they're setting the strategy for individual companies. One, one of the, I, I mentioned the Paris Climate Goals, um, one of the elements of the directive is that in setting director's remuneration, uh, it's necessary to take into account whether the director has individually done enough to support the Paris Climate Goals. Um, so there, there's a category of director's duties, which is which is reasonably far-reaching. But I think the one that is perhaps potentially of biggest significance is that there's a system of civil liability foreseen. In some ways, the um, the EU's goal is that this will become self-enforcing, self-policing by creating a compensation sort of system around it. Um, specifically, the idea the EU has is that it will be possible for individuals to sue companies where a harm has arisen from a breach of any of the, um, any of the, the, the limitations that I've outlined. Um, now, uh, there are all kinds of questions about how that's going to work and, and what it's going to look like, but in principle, um, the idea is that uh, individuals will be able to take actions defined by national law uh, to sue companies and to receive compensation, and that will, uh, in the EU's mind, deter companies sufficiently um, and, or encourage companies sufficiently to, to comply with these uh, goals. Like I mentioned, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a material gap there between you know, the risk of having to pay compensation for breaching a rule and even knowing what the rule is. Um, so there seems to me to be a lot of ground to make up in the, in the, in the middle there and a lot of potential uncertainty and, and danger for companies in that circumstance. Do we have a do we have a sense of where uh, those cases could be litigated? It's very difficult to, to tell. And here's, here's one of the reasons why the directive doesn't give any guidance at all uh, on that question. Um, it's left uh, simply to, uh, to, to EU law, to, to, to pre-existing EU law to try to figure out. And the answer in EU law to that question is very difficult to, um, to, to determine. Um, well, so there will be, in each and every member state, there will be a parallel civil enforcement system set up. There's no kind of federal court that will be able to determine these uh, cases. 
there's no single EU court that will naturally have jurisdiction over over enforcing this. So there's no there's no um, intuitive place that a plaintiff wanting to sue a company would go to in order to initiate their action. Instead, they'd have to figure out the usual things. Um, uh, you know, where is the where is the defendant based? Where are the victims based? Where is the harm arisen? Where is you know what is the location of the law that applies to the um, to the issue complained of, etc. Um, but it's it's clear that this directive tries to anchor enforcement in the European uh, in the European member state courts. So how exactly and which of the courts will be the relevant one remains to be seen. But the goal is certainly that. Um, that, that courts within the EU will have that jurisdiction, you know. So it won't be enough to say, hey, this all happened in, this all happened in Asia. Um, this has nothing to do with the European courts. I think in that situation, um, the, the, the goals that the Commission has set for the directive would not have been met. Very interesting. And um, while the EU's uh, goal is to anchor uh, enforcement in, in, within the EU, you, we can imagine that uh, some litigation could occur outside of the EU. Oh, for sure. There, there's, you know, along with the obligations that the um, uh, directive imposes, uh, you know, will be all kinds of obligations for companies to, to state and report on what they've done in order to identify problems with their supply chain what due diligence steps have they taken in order to mitigate those? Where have they, you know, where have they found a problem? Where have they eliminated a problem, uh, etc. So it it uh, depends on a degree of um, uh, uh, transparency and reporting about what companies are doing. Now, inevitably, uh, if a if a company, you know, uh, you know is required to issue a report about something, then you know, that could, of course, trigger litigation in many jurisdictions around the world, in the US and others. Um, equally, you know, the additional you know, regulation and the regulatory architectures that will be set up in each and every member state, um, it's, it's unclear at this stage what kind of, um, you know, you know how, how public or not their, uh, their roles will be and, you know, what kind of disclosures companies will Will need to make about what they do and how they do it. Um, now, you know, if something is if something is wrong, then uh, I don't think anyone is is, is complaining about the um, you know the need to, to 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 make some kind of a disclosure. But as you know well, there's there's a lot between that. There's a lot of um, um, you, you know potentially somewhat opportunistic plaintiffs can make a lot of hay out of. Uh, out of disclosures, you know, even the existence of, uh, you know, an inquiry into something uh, can on its own trigger class actions or can, can have material share price consequences on the things, even if there's, even if there's nothing really much um, uh, underneath it. So, again, it's an area of, of, um, of, of pretty material, uh, material uncertainty. And I should add one important thing about the civil liability risk, which is that there is, I think, you could say one of the um, one of the, the the best bits of the directive is that it does create a uh, a defence, a ready-made defence for 
companies when they're facing a civil suit for having breached some of these obligations. In particular, when those are when those um, when the breach arises from a third party, not within their group, uh, you know, outside of their, their real jurisdiction. Um, it does say that uh, it will be a good defense to show that companies have made you know proper efforts to set up a due diligence system to try to secure the contractual guarantees, um, you know, appropriate contractual guarantees from uh, third parties that are assisting in the supply chain. So, put put simply, if a if a company can show that it's done all that all that it could do in order to get proper promises from third party suppliers that they wouldn't you know breach these norms, then a company might be insulated from liability. So that's 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 good in in concept, I guess. Uh, though. Um, two things about it. One is that, um, you know, having a simple contractual exclusion, uh, I mean, if that's all it takes in order to avoid liability, then you could ask, you know, whether the whether these goals are going to be met. And the second one is just as a practical matter, you know, what is, a, what is an adequate uh, contractual promise? What is an appropriate amount of due diligence? How, how, how are you really supposed to investigate whether a uh, you know a non-owned third-party supplier uh, you know really is respecting human rights and environmental norms, it's 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 very difficult. It's very difficult now, um, and you know saying that you must do it um, will I'm sure cause companies to increase their their efforts, but it doesn't make the challenge any more easy to overcome. Yes, uh, I agree that compliance defense is an important element of this uh, proposal, and, um, but there's a lot to think about and uh, I, I guess a lot to engage uh, on in Brussels uh, while this rule is being debated in the European Parliament and uh, in the Council. So I uh, encourage you all to uh, engage. Um, but now it's time to conclude uh, this episode was very interesting. Thank you very much, Ken. Uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. Yeah.